Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Good morning. My name's Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine, and you know, we've, this is now the seventh week, I think, we've watched that little video at the beginning of this series um, talking about I am. And, and what I've thought often is, you know, I know there are people out there that say I'm the smartest or um, I think I'm better than everybody else or I'm the greatest. You know, as I watch that, what I often think is, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think I'm the greatest. Actually, I'm, I normally just think I'm just kind of confused. <laughs> like, Lord, Lord, what are you, what are you up to? Lord, what are you doing? Like, I don't understand. Or I see things going on in your lives um, as we talk and as we watch, and I'm like, Lord, I, don't, I, I wouldn't do this this way. What are you up to? And I think, by the way, even, even uh, you laugh and, and, and you're focused right now, maybe you feel the same way a little bit. And we've been in this series where, where Jesus is saying, I am, and he is making a bold claim to the people in, um, in, in his day around him and, and to us today that I am God himself. And I am your only hope. And so today we're going to look at the specific statement. You've probably picked up on it through the service, um, through the singing and the prayers. We're going to look at the statement where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so I'd ask you to turn with me to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. And I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you if you're able to please stand back up with me as we read um, God's Word. In John chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 1, I remind you this is the Word of God. Jesus speaking here says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we'd ask that as you, we turn to your word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word Lord, that you would make it clear to us this morning. That you would cause us to hear what you want us to hear. Because you tell us your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the joint and marrow. Lord, would you do that with it this morning? Lord, show our hearts this morning where we are overconfident in ourselves and our own abilities. Lord, turn our confidence to you. Lord, show us this morning where we are confused, where we're concerned, where we're troubled. 
Lord, that we can turn and run to you. Lord, as we ask you to do that, I acknowledge, Lord, that I think that's through the things that you've put on my heart to prepare. But Lord, it could be around that. Lord, whatever means is necessary, would you speak this morning? And Lord, we do um, pray for Pastor John this morning as he's away at our daughter church, Ascent Church, um, preaching there today. Lord, as we pray here, we ask there that you would, Lord, go before him, that you would use his words as he proclaims your word. Lord, and we ask it there and here that you would magnify your name among us. And that, Lord, you would grow our hearts more and more to live after what you say is good and right for us. Encourage us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You may have heard the story of the missionary who, um, about 30 years ago, was in the jungles of Peru. And as he was walking around in the, in the jungle, he lost the path and he, and he couldn't find his way. And so he wandered around a bit and then he saw a little, a little hut in a, in a small clearing and he went to that hut and he knocked on... Uh, he, he, Got the guy's attention. I don't know if they actually knock on doors. Um, got the guy's attention, and, and the native man came, and he said, um, he said, I, I'm lost. I can't find my way out of the jungle. Can you help me? And he said, yeah, of course. And so, so he comes out, and he starts to lead him with his machete, hacking through the jungle. And this man's hacking through, and the missionary, tells, as he tells the story, can hardly keep up. And finally, after about an hour, they stop for, for a rest, and he's like, are you sure we're going the right way? I don't see a path anywhere. And the native man looked at him and said that there is no path here. I am the way. Keep up. The disciples in our story this morning, in this narrative, this true story, this morning are, are, are looking at Jesus and like, hey, wait, we're confused. Where are we going? And how are we getting there? And Jesus makes this claim in verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so as we look at that verse and the verses surrounding it, you notice we picked up in verse 1. Um, I want us to see the context of how Jesus builds to that statement. Because this context in verses 1 through 6 reveals his character. And it has great implication for us today. So the first thing we're going to see is, is this, is that Jesus knows and cares about our troubles. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. So why does he start the passage this way? Well, we've already mentioned that the disciples are confused. So, so here's what's going on. They're in the upper room, the disciples. So, so they're in the upper room. Um, that, that's, this is when... Jesus is talking to them. He's telling them about the, 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 final, the, the um, final events of his life. The, and, he, and so what we have going on here are the words and actions of Jesus um, here right before he's going to be arrested and taken to be tried and crucified. And so in chapter 13, what, what we hear there is that Jesus had prophesied and predicted that Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And then in chapter 13, we also have Jesus saying, Simon Peter is going to deny me. And then we also have Jesus then telling them that he was going to die and leave them. 
I said, just stop and put yourself there for a minute. That wasn't what they were expecting. They had been going along with Jesus and though things had been pretty kind of uh, not, not been rosy all the time, they still had some semblance of hope that, that things were going to get better, that they were going to end well for Jesus and for them. And now Jesus is going, no, actually, you're going to fail me. And oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to die. I had a soccer coach in high school who constantly told us he, he was a, a former major in the Marine Corps. And so the way he coached his style, you can imagine, um, was pretty straightforward, straight at you. Um, and he constantly told us, no matter what, stay together, be a unit, work as a team, whatever happens, whatever comes. Three games into the season, we lost our all-state goalie due to grades, and two of our four seniors were out for the year with ACL tears. On the way home, on the bus, we kind of caught wind that, that our coach was getting ready to quit on us. You can imagine um, we were angry, we were discouraged, and we were frustrated because we had bought into this teaching, his teaching, and we had followed him. The disciples must have felt a lot worse. You see, they believed that Jesus had come to fulfill their hopes and their dreams. The hopes and dreams of a Messiah to come. But see, they had misunderstood the way Jesus was coming, the way the Messiah was coming. And so they thought he had come to set up an earthly kingdom. And now, as it looks like everything's fallen apart, they were troubled greatly. And so Jesus says to them in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. The word for trouble here, um, used in verse 1, is the type of trouble that comes to everyone because of the result of living in a fallen and broken world. Today, a lot of times we call those circumstances in life. And our way of dealing with these circumstances, our way, often causes troubled hearts. But I want, I want you to notice something here as Jesus starts. He acknowledges the fear and concerns of the disciples. He acknowledges that their hearts are troubled. He acknowledges that fear and concern. But he doesn't just leave them there in their troubles and uncertainties. He patiently and lovingly begins pointing them to himself so that their hearts may not be troubled. Look at the second half of verse 1. He says, believe in God, or, or it may even be translated, you believe in God, believe also in me. What's he unpacking there? Well, what he's saying there is that, that, yes, they may believe in God, these disciples, but they're still thinking that they're just following Jesus, this good teacher, or this good leader. And Jesus, and this, this good teacher and leader who, yes, is pointing to God, but he's not, they don't fully understand the, the magnitude. And so Jesus is saying, no, it's so much bigger than that. Having just told his disciples not to have troubled hearts, he shows them how to deal with it. He says, instead, instead of having these troubled hearts, you believe in God, you believe in Yahweh, believe in me. I am the one that God promised to send. I am one with him. I have the power to rescue you and to carry you through, to see you through this trouble. I'm the one that is going to restore all things. 
But the passage gives us indication that, that the disciples, like many of us, they were still a little off. They were not trusting in the character of who Jesus is. Rather, they were trusting in the fact that they had made the right decision to align themselves with the right person in Jesus. But their trust was still not fully in who Jesus was. And they didn't understand what he had come to do. Now, just to apply that to us for a minute, help us think, for that, think through that for a minute. I think the majority of us in here, maybe not all, but the majority of us in here would probably say we believe in God and his plan. And we may even say we're following Jesus. But often we live like we're trusting in the decision that we've made to align ourselves with Jesus, the right person, rather than trusting who Jesus is and what he came to do. We, even as Christians, we don't, we don't do it intentionally, but, but often in our lives, if we stop and we kind of take inventory, we find that, yes, we're following Jesus, right? We're, we're following him. And yet often we're weighing our decisions and, and it looks as if we are weighing our decisions going, okay, this is what Jesus says would be good for us and to do, but I don't think that's going to get me the outcome I'm really looking for. So I'm going to change that around a little bit. I think I might do it this way. You know why? It goes back to what we say regularly around here. Because at the core of our sinful hearts, we want to be God over our lives. We're not that concerned about what He came to do in us and through us. We're really more concerned about what we want to do. That's the heart of sin. And so then that trouble we feel when there are hard circumstances in our lives, those things come because we're trying to keep control and we don't think what Jesus has said is good for us is good for us. We think there's something else or something better. But Jesus says, bring those troubles to me. Come to me. Acknowledge your troubled hearts. Tell me you're trying to go your own way. Acknowledge it. Be honest. You see, here's the deal. The sovereign, all-knowing God knows your heart anyway. He knows your heart. You're not hiding it from him by not saying it. I'm not hiding it from him by not telling him. But to take the action to come to him and acknowledge our troubled hearts to him reminds us that Jesus has made the way, that, that he is the way for us to come to him freely with our circumstances and our fears. It reminds us that he loves us deeply even when our hearts are troubled. And so Jesus is telling the disciples and us, let me paraphrase it all now. I am God. I am the one with him. Believe in me like you believe in God because I have the power to, to remedy the troubled hearts. I have the power to, to, to um, care for your hearts that desire to run. And my power is for life itself.
That's our second point. Being with Jesus is the definition of life. Look at verse 2 to 4. He says, in my, father's room, uh, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's different interpretations um, here for, for the place that Jesus has for you, the, the many rooms in the Father's mansion, etc. And that's actually where we often want to focus, because it's how we think. But look at what Jesus promises here. It has little or perhaps even nothing to do with rooms. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is saying, the place I have for you is with me. I'm going to say it again. The place I have for you is with me. And we are so materialistic in our culture or, or thinking that we want things to be better that we often miss this entirely. Jesus was preparing the disciples and us to be with him. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he was making the way that they might be in his presence forever. And it's interesting, just after this section, um, in, the, in the bottom, the, the next half of chapter 14, this presence thing was so important that as he's going away into heaven, he promises the disciples that he's going to leave the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor with them to continue to point them to Jesus. And so this idea, he's never going to leave them or us alone. Do you get it? We anticipate the place he has for us in the new heavens and the new earth, often through our own lens. And so we focus in on those things that, um, that we might have a better house or better streets of gold or better food or better health or, or whatever that may be. And, and I'm not saying that those things are bad or even necessarily wrong, but the point is, is that if that is what we're looking forward to in heaven, then we are missing the very heart of what is promised for us then. And therefore, we're missing what's available to us now. So as a pastor of family ministries, I often, um, I have often in, in the past taught little kids and elementary kids and, and taught on heaven. Because that's something that they want to ask often. And then, um, you know, even now, even, even these days, even though I'm not teaching regularly with the children anymore, if there's a topic about heaven is, oh, Pastor Tim can do that one. You know the number one question I get from girls about heaven? Will my dog or cat be there? You know what the number one question I get from boys about heaven? Will there be a football there? Now, that doesn't apply to every child. I, I get that. But those are the two number one questions between girls and boys. They come up again and again and again. As adults, when we're thinking of an event coming up, let's not think of heaven for a minute, but we do think that way. But as we're thinking of an event coming up, what are the two questions we often ask? What are we going to do? Got to entice me with what we're going to do. And who's going to be there? 
right? That's how, that's how our minds work. Well, let me tell you what I answer the, to the kids about heaven. I answer, I don't know. Now, those people who have me come in to teach them look at me like, well, we could have said that. <laughs> yeah, I know. We don't know for sure. But here's what I can promise them, because Scripture says it. That there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain anymore for those former things have passed away. And we will be in the presence of Jesus. And usually kids are like, yeah, but will there be football? Uh, (laughs) But that's the simple truth. And through our own lens, we want to confuse it all. And it affects the way we live here today. So I can't tell you everything we're going to do there, but what I can tell you is who is going to be there. And that is Jesus. And he has prepared the way for us to be there with him. Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, has given us his presence now. And we often hurt and ache and struggle in our lives alone and without hope. Because the reality is, we don't really want his presence all the time. Or at least the decisions we make indicate that, that's, that we don't. We're often creating our own destination. We're often preparing ourselves for what we think is good for us. A couple authors in a book on marriage said, most Americans spend the majority of our lives preparing for our last 15 years on this earth instead of the 10 million years or or the eternity that follow our lives here. When we realize that Jesus wants to be in relationship with us right now and that he is the very way to that relationship now and in the future, we will begin to ask what we need to reorder in our lives to learn to be in his presence today. There was a minister in the 18th century. Um, His name was Henry Veen. And he had been a a big part of gospel missions um, around the world. Had seen many people come to faith um, in Christ. Had seen um, churches develop and leadership develop. And as he retired, he went to live near his son. And after a few years, he became sick. And um, as as he, uh, the doctor came to see him, and the doctor told him, um, Henry, you're you're really sick, and you were dying. You may even die within the day. The doctor tells the story that Henry was so overjoyed at the prospect of dying and being with Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus, that the joy of that kept him alive for another two weeks. What did he know? What did he get? He got the definition of life itself. That's being in the presence of Jesus. And he knew, he knew the one that was the way there. Look at verses four through seven with me. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas replies, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Where was Jesus going? He was going to be fully in the presence of the Father. And for us, we see that he alone is the way there. Jesus is the full truth. He's the way, he's the life, he's also the full truth. And that's contrasting with the Old Testament, uh, particularly the sacrificial system. And just to summarize that briefly is it was looking forward as a shadow or a picture of the salvation that Jesus was going to bring. And he's telling them that now he's there and he is the true, the real, the substantial, the fulfillment of all that had been pictured in the Old Testament. And it has come to fruition in him. So he alone is the way to the Father. You talk about a truth bomb. You know, in our culture, we don't really like exclusive statements. But Jesus didn't shy away from it. Jesus is making an exclusive statement. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Someone says, how can I come to know the Father? Jesus points to himself and says, it's through me. Often in our culture, we trust in other religions. Or we search to find our truth. And if that doesn't apply to you, um, maybe it's that we manipulate circumstances to make us feel better. Or we place hope and trust in the things that make us feel secure and comfortable. Here's a caution. If that's what you're doing, and you have never had those things that make you feel comfortable or secure stripped away, I want to caution you to guard your heart. And I don't mean guard your stuff or your people or your good name. That's actually the opposite of what is helpful. What what I mean here is guard your hearts with this truth that Jesus alone is the way. Preach it to your hearts right now. Preach it to your hearts this week and in the weeks to come because any other way that you are trusting in is going to end in vain. And I know there are those of you here this morning that have had those securities stripped away. Or you feel like you're teetering on the cusp of it all just falling apart. Maybe it's through a marriage, because of your finances, maybe it's things going on with your children, maybe it's your name being run through the mud. Maybe it's through a loss in your life. Don't lose heart this morning. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Not all those other things you may trust in today. And I can keep sharing testimony after testimony of the the extreme things. You know, where, where Jesus is renewing hope of the lives of people. 
through circumstances with adultery, through prison, through drugs, through horrific gossip, through suicidal tendencies, through sickness and disease, through loss of loved ones. And those are some of the extreme things. But let me give you one that's a day-to-day. I can find, and y'all probably know this because I use them as examples a lot, but this isn't on them. Because I can find my hope in how my kids act. And so what do I try to do? I try to control them. Often I want to correct my boys, to change them, to make them think and behave the right way. And there is an aspect of that in discipline and parenting. That's another sermon. But what's the point of it? Well, it's to point them to Jesus, who alone is their hope, not how well they behave, who alone is the way and the truth and the life. And recently I was reminded, and all I have to thank is God for this, but I was reminded that they do believe that Jesus is the only way and the truth and the life. And I should take joy in that. And we should take joy in one another because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we look around to one another and see that we believe we are the way and the truth, that that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, we can walk alongside each other through all the trouble, through all the sin that we're struggling with and wrestling with, through all the hurt and the pain and the aching, because our greatest joy is to see that we believe that Jesus alone is the one we're hoping in and trusting in. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, you say that we come in your name that you are preparing a place for us that you are the one that will come and take us there and so Lord we long and desire many of us here in this room to find Lord to believe to trust that that's true and so Lord for us in these moments of quiet as we prepare our hearts to come to your table Lord, would you show us the places where we're not trusting in you and you alone, where we're trusting in other things. Show us the sin in our heart that we might confess it before you. And then, Lord, for those who are here this morning who do not yet know you, Lord, I ask that you would be tender and gentle, that you would be patient and loving with them, but that, Lord, you would break through in this moment and show that all those things they are trusting in, Lord, will bring no hope. 
And Lord, let them run to you this day. And so Lord, hear us in these quiet moments as we prepare our hearts for your table. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.